we, we're doing a series right now. Uh, we're, we're just looking into the life of Jesus and who he is. And uh, I don't know how many of you are documentary people. I'm kind of a documentary guy. I like watching a good documentary that just kind of grabs a hold of me. And uh, recently I was scrolling through uh, a couple, couple YouTube, there's a couple YouTube channels that I have that I go to to, I just appreciate the way that they do documentaries. And I was scrolling through the channel, seeing what was on there and all kinds of stuff. Uh, was grabbing my attention, but one one title actually just grabbed my eye, and the title of the documentary was "Siberian Cult Leader Thinks He's Jesus." So I hit play, and for the next 25, 26 minutes, I watched some of the most bizarre stuff that I have maybe ever seen. Um, back in 1990, this guy, uh, his name was uh, Sergey Anatolovich Torop. Back in 1990, while I was celebrating my 16th birthday, on the same day I was celebrating my 16th birthday, this guy had what he called a spiritual awakening, and uh, he saw himself as the second coming of Jesus. He was 29 years old at the time, and he actually changed his name from Sergei to the Viserion. Um, he quickly began writing what he called the Last Testament, a book that contained his teachings on everything from the right brand of detergent to use to music and uh, all kinds of different things, even teaching on aliens. Next uh, thing he did after he wrote the last, his last, the last testament, as he called it, is he 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 set up this community um, that he established in some remote area of Siberia called the Community of Unified Faith. And the community had about four thousand residents at one time. They were strict on what you could and couldn't eat. Uh, they weren't allowed. To, it was totally vegetarian. No eating meat. There was no 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 drinking. No swearing. No use of money. All kinds of different rules. Um, there was no Christmas in this community, because the Viserion replaced his birthday. Uh, that became like the big big celebration. He considers Mary to be his mom. Um, they see him as the source of all truth. His followers pray to him. He, uh, in this documentary, there are every kind of room, whether it's a bedroom or a living room or a classroom. They all have his picture on the wall, and it was, it was very fascinating. Well, once a year, the community celebrates their most, kind of like their most sacred holiday. It's called the, the Holiday of Good Fruits. It's kind of like their Easter. And for many, the day centers around this pilgrimage that they all take to hopefully catch a glimpse of the Viserion, this guy who, who thinks he's the second coming of Jesus. And so you're watching the documentary, and probably half of the documentary is actually showing the, 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 the masses of people, like hundreds of people, making this pilgrimage from the, the village way up this mountain to where this, this Viserion guy, he has his home. And so they make their way up, and as they make their way up, they pause along the way, and there'll be like a circle of, of people in long flowing garments playing their flutes and they'll go a little further and there'll be some kind of weird relic on the side of the trail a little further and they'll just pause and they'll pray and and just kind of gradually making their way up well finally the holiday culminates with them arriving to this big meadow at the top and as they all patiently wait there eventually the viserion this guy comes down this trail through the forest, long flowy hair. He's got a long white robe. And, and they all, as they see him coming out of the woods, they all light their candles and they begin to sing this, this hushed, reverent song. 
and the Viserion comes down, and he sits on this big wooden throne that he has way up there, and then the cameras go off because you can't record it while he does some teaching, and then the cameras flip back on when he's done his teaching, and rather than come down and be with the people, he just sort of makes his way back up the trail. Did I get really muffly all of a sudden? Is that me? All right. Okay. Um, if I need to switch, just let me know. But, but he, leaves his, he, he leaves back up. And the whole documentary had a, uh, just a very creepy kind of cult, cultish vibe to it. And it was pretty obvious that this guy was not the second coming of Jesus. And uh, he wasn't actually anything like the real Jesus, especially when it came to how he interacted with, with the people. He, he actually, he interacted with the people in a way that the world would expect a great leader, a, 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 a very important people, a person to interact with the ordinary people like us. He's aloof, he's distant, very otherworldly. He's like a celebrity who doesn't let anybody near him. Only his handlers are allowed to come, come near him. To everybody else, he just keeps his distance and he just smiles, he waves, he talks, he offers a blessing, and then he leaves ascends up the trail to his, his little home up there on the mountain, while his followers descend back down the valley to try really hard to create this utopian community that he envisions. Well, Jesus isn't like that at all. Instead, what Jesus does is, and we're going to look into this this morning on a, the, spend our time here, is he enters right into the thick of things. He immerses himself in the messiness of humanity. And, and rather than standing around waiting to be served, that, like you expect someone high and mighty to be, Jesus does the unthinkable, and he serves. And it gets even crazier. He doesn't just serve those who worship and adore him. Jesus serves those who are going to betray him, mock him, eventually crucify him. He serves them too. And we live in a day and age where when it comes to, to whether it's serving or others, other uh, acts of, of, of virtuousness, we, it's kind of trendy in this day and age to, to do that sort of thing. In fact, we even have a, a phrase that we've adapted in our culture called um, virtue signaling. And, and it's this idea that when someone does a good deed, rather than just do a good deed and move on, what do you do? You want everybody to know all about your good deed. And so if I'm driving down the road and I see that you've got a flat tire, I'm going to pull up on the side of the road. And I'm going to help you fix that flat tire. But then before I go, hey, I want everybody to know about this good deed. So I'm going to grab my phone. I'm going to get a selfie of me and you and the flat tire. I'm going to go like hashtag right time, right place. Hashtag loving, hashtag loving Jesus. Hashtag love to serve. I'm going to send it out there for everybody to know, right? That's virtue signaling. This is us doing the activities of servant of a servant, but not really being servants. It's about us, not about others. But what's amazing to me about Jesus is that he doesn't just do the activities of a servant just so he'll look good. No, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Lord God Almighty, it's, it's just who he is. Being a servant is in his nature. And speaking of Jesus, the Father put it like this. He said, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. He was all about serving others, giving himself for our sake. And, you know, the message in the world, and 
and even in the church, is that uh, whether it's an explicit message, message or an implicit message would suggest that the main goals that you and I should be pursuing in life are personal comfort, personal happiness, personal joy, personal character growth, personal peace, personal satisfaction, personal self-fulfillment. Jesus still lived for something so much bigger. He lived to serve. He said this, I am among you as one who serves. A servant is who he is, and serving others is just what he does. And I don't think that there's any other place in Scripture where we see this the most clearly as we do in John chapter 13, just before the Last Supper. Um, this is the night where Jesus is, is about to— He's about to go to the cross, and he's gathered with his disciples for one last meal. In typical Middle Eastern fashion, they would have had a low table and couches all along that table. They would have been facing the table with kind of like the, the bottom part of their body turned that way, away from the table. Um, back in those days, when people— showed up to a home for dinner. Their feet were typically very dirty. They wore sandals, and the roads were, were mostly made of dirt. If you've ever walked down a trail with sandals on, maybe it started to rain, and, and you just got dirt and grime and gunk between your toes. Um, that's what they were dealing with all the time. And so when you showed up to somebody's house with dirty feet, the host of the house would have a little basin there with, with some water, and you could go in there and just whip off those sandals and clean up those feet. Well, Loosing sandals, though, and personally washing someone's feet was a job that was only, only done by servants, and the lowliest of servants at that, because it was considered such an inferior job to do. But as Jesus and the, the disciples, they sit around the table, the unexpected happens. The Bible says this in John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. And the devil by now had, had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. I just, I've always loved this last verse. It shows that Jesus, he just, he fully knew who he was. You know, you and I, sometimes we, in life, we have these identity crisis, crises where we, we just don't know who we are. We're trying to figure out what it is that you're called to do and who you're called to be, and am I this, am I that? And, and we, we go through these different phases in life. Um, you probably had your first identity crisis somewhere in middle school or high school, but they, 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 they kind of come and go, actually, throughout your entire life. And, uh, Jesus, though, he doesn't have that issue. He knows who he is. He is in complete charge of everything. He is fully in charge of his emotions, his mission, fully in charge in this moment. He has authority. He knew he was God. He knew the difficult road that, the road that lay ahead with the cross. He knew that he was going to rise and ascend into heaven. He knew all of that. And, and to his disciples, just think about the disciples here in this moment. They're probably thinking, okay, the moment has arrived. Jesus, at this point, he's been, he's been um, doing public ministry for about three years. Everybody knew who he was. He had just, just recently had rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and crowds, throngs of people gathered around to, to sing his praises. 
The disciples are probably thinking, okay, this is it. He's got us here in the upper room. We're about to strategize how we're going to set up an earthly kingdom with the palace and guards and all that kind of stuff. Maybe some of the disciples were thinking that this was it. He's going he's to be lifted higher, and we're just going to prop him up, give him a throne. But then Jesus does what nobody is expecting. The Bible says that, that he knew where he came from and where he was going, so he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. He serves. He does the lowly job of a servant. He comes along and he grabs Matthew's calloused, dirty, stinky feet. He dips them in the water and he gives them a scrub. Then he moves over to Thomas. He does the same thing that John and James. He's washing all their feet. And as he does this, the disciples are stunned totally stunned and very very uncomfortable this is not how it's supposed to work important people aren't supposed to be at the bottom they're supposed to be at the top what is jesus doing and so you read the bible and it continues going when he got to simon peter peter said master you wash my feet and jesus answered you don't understand now what i'm doing but it will be clear enough to you later. And Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet ever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing, Peter. Not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Because Peter's going, if this is what you're up to, Jesus, I want it all. You know, serving isn't just something that Jesus does. It is who he is. It's who he is. In Philippians, as Paul is writing a letter to the church of Philippi, he describes how there was a certain attitude that Jesus had as a servant. And in Paul, in Philippians, he, he encourages and exhorts us to have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. He had a, he had a way of thinking that affected his actions. It affected how he lived his life. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking what the attitude of a servant looks like. The attitude that we see in Jesus throughout the Gospels. And, and I just encourage you this morning as you're hearing this, don't let these just be some things that you go, oh, that sounds like a good little tip for me to go out and just, you know, be a better person. I'd encourage you as you're hearing this to go, Jesus, would you, would you plant that in me? Would you plant that in my, my mind? Plant that in my, God, help me to have the same attitude that you had. Not just so that I can be a better person, but Jesus, like you. First thing is this, the attitude of a servant is to submit to another out of love. It's to submit to another out of love. And in Jesus, we see him all throughout the Gospels. He's submitting to his Father, and then out of that, not only is he serving the Father, but he's living a life of service to others. And you need, need to understand what's going on in the person of Jesus. He is equal to the Father. He's equal. Uh, Jesus is just the Trinity. is Father, Spirit, Son. The, the Godhead, we sing that song, the Godhead three in one. They are, all, they are all equal. Like we read earlier, the Father sees Jesus, who's equal to him, and the Father says, here is my servant, 
whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Now, most people in that moment are probably pushing back a little bit, right? Like, what do you mean, I'm your servant? We're, we're equal. We're on level playing field here. Most people would be a little bit bothered if somebody else considered them their servant. You know, even if the most powerful person that you can think of comes up to you and calls you your, their, their servant, you're probably going to—that's going to get under your skin a little bit, right? But here's Jesus. When it comes to him submitting to the Father, he doesn't push back. He doesn't grudgingly serve because that's his job. No, he delights in serving his Father. One time, he actually compared it to eating food. He said, it's to, to, to do the will of my Father, that's, that's, that's my bread. Like a delicious meal. Another time, he says, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me, and the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. It's incredible. Jesus is God Almighty, and yet he submits to his Father out of love. And then flowing out of that submission to his Father is a heart to serve you and to serve me. You know, when it comes to, to having the, the attitude of a servant, it works the exact same way with us. It starts with us going, okay, God, you have done so much for us. God, you are who you say you are. God, I give my life to you. I follow you. I am, I am all about following you and obeying you. I submit to you. We lay our lives at his feet and, and, and serve him out however he asks us to. And, and we don't serve him because he needs us. You know, it's not like God is an employer and we are his employees. Unless we give him what we've got, this whole thing's going to come crumbling down. That's not why we serve him. No, we serve him because he's God. We serve him because he's Lord. We serve him because he saved us. We serve him because we love him. When you love somebody, servanthood, it's just going to naturally flow out of that love, right? You know, when, when a young man is in love with a young woman, they will take great, great joy and going to great lengths to serve that lady they're pursuing. They'll take them out, buy them dinner, wash the car, open doors, buy them flowers, buy them gifts, on and on and on you could go, right? Work around her schedule. Is it a hassle? No. It's, it's love. You love somebody, and it leads to this willingness to serve. And as Jesus' followers, the, the natural outflow of our love for him is going to be that we have this heart, this attitude that goes, okay, I'm going to su submit to you, and I'm also going to submit to others and serve others. It's the attitude of a servant. Next, we see that the attitude of a servant is a willingness to put self aside for the sake of another. So here's Jesus, and he's sitting at the table with his disciples. And, you know, in that moment, Jesus is the teacher. He's got a lot of good stuff to say. In that moment, it probably would have made a little more sense for Jesus to go to the disciples and say, hey guys, while we're here, I would like to teach you all about servanthood. I want you all to learn what it means to serve. So I'm going to kick back here on my lazy boy. There's a basin of water over there, and I want you to come over here and give my feet a good scrub. That's going to teach you how to serve. That kind of makes sense that he would do that, right? But that is not the character of God at all. Instead, he puts self aside. He puts self-interest aside. You know, so often when it comes to serving others, we start with the wrong set of questions, don't we? We go, okay, do, do, is it going to fit my schedule? 
Is it going to fit with my wiring and my skill set? Is it going to get me excited? Does it make me feel good? How much time is going to be involved in, in, in serving others? But for the follower of Jesus, you know, when, when you have the attitude of a servant, and when you understand as a follower of Jesus that your serving potentially has eternal significance, you show up with a different set of questions. You go, okay, eternity is at stake. Where do you need me? Jesus, what can I do? If you were to show up on, on, a, on the scene of a major disaster, you know, you're not going to be standing around at the major disaster going, okay, I wonder where my gifts, where my passions, where my skill set, where my schedule fits into things. You're going to be just showing up and going, okay, where do you need me? What, what do I need to do? Now, I totally get that there is a place for schedules. I get that, that everybody has a unique way to serve that that is going to be the most fulfilling and the most impactful that goes along with how God's wired you and all that stuff. But sometimes we do make it about ourselves. And, and, and the heart of a servant, though, is to go, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to put self aside, and I'm just going to start serving. Jesus also put self-promotion aside. The Bible says that he made himself nothing in Philippians 2. He wasn't trying to make this big, massive name for himself. You know, the temptation, what does the devil do? He comes along and he says, hey, Jesus, if you just jump off that temple, I'm telling you, Jesus, that's going to be like your viral moment. Someone's going to catch it on their phone, and you're going to be famous. He comes along and he says, Jesus, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You'll be the most popular person that there's on the planet. And Jesus goes, no, that's, that is not how we're going to be doing things. I am here to serve. And, and you know this. The world that we live in is all about self-promotion. Even more so than ever with the dawn of the smartphone and social media. It is all about how can I promote myself? How can I come up with the craziest, silliest, goofiest video so that everybody out there will see my name and all kinds of people who I'll never meet in my life will like my video it's all about promoting yourself, pushing others aside. Step on whoever you have to in order to clamor your way up that ladder. But understand, the way of Jesus is very, very different. Very different. He stands up from the table. He grabs that towel. He grabs some water. And then he gets down low, and he begins to serve. Have you, have you ever been in that, that place where maybe you've given up your dream for somebody else's dream? That is the attitude of a servant. Have you ever deflected success, maybe in your office, maybe, maybe on your, your team, maybe in your home? You've, someone has said something, you just deflect that to other people. You want other people to, to be in the limelight. That's the attitude of a servant. Maybe you're a parent who lives more for your kid's success than yours. That's the attitude of a servant. He put his self-interest aside, he put self-promotion aside, and he also put self-protection aside. And we're going to see more about that in the next few weeks as we, we, we remember the cross and how in the ultimate act of servanthood, Jesus, rather than choosing to protect himself, he goes, no, I'm, I'm here to serve humanity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my life down for the sake of others. The attitude of a servant is to put self Aside, And the next, the attitude of a servant, it's a fierce resolve to keep on serving no matter the cost. You know, by the time that the Last Supper rolled around, 
where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he had been giving a lot. He'd been serving for three years. He'd been healing a lot of people, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, walking across water, teaching, 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 just giving, giving, giving. But he still gets up from that table and he serves because that's just what a servant does. Jesus does not reach the point where he goes, okay, I put in my time. No, he's a servant. He just keeps going and going and going. You know, there will be many times when serving is not easy. Many times. Serving, it comes with a cost, doesn't it? Jesus, as he's getting ready to, to, to lay down his life, he, you know, he has that moment in Gethsemane where he's just wrestling with his father. He's saying, not my will. Um, he, well, he's asking, take this cup from me, but then he says, not my will, but your will be done. It comes with a cost. And then, then he, when the answer comes back from the father, no, this is the way, what does he do? He just, he submits and he just keeps on serving. He heads towards the cross. And I think a lot of times when it comes to serving, we give up because it's, it's too hard. And I would say we have probably all, if we're honest, been in that boat before. And if you, you know, especially in the, the church, it can be very hard serving in the church. Sometimes it's, you know, it can be the most rewarding thing. You see lives are being changed. You see that people are being transformed and impacted. But let's just be honest. It can also be so hard. It can be a thankless job it just, or just hard work where it feels like you're always tilling up the ground, constantly tilling, constantly tilling. So, uh, maybe something will, will begin to grow and blossom, but it's just more tilling and more tilling, seeing little fruit. And one of the key ways, though, to stir up that fierce resolve that Jesus had is to remember the mission, to remember, like Jesus did, why you're doing it, to remember where you came from, to remember why you're here, and also to remember who you're doing it for. There's this guy, so I, I uh, uh, grew up in BC. My dad pastored these little tiny, tiny churches in these little tiny villages, um, serving uh, First Nations people up in BC. And in the, in, in the denomination that I grew up in, there was one guy who was, he was uh, a man who was just a hero to so many people. His name was John Nygaard. And I don't think this guy ever pastored a church, probably more than 50 or 60 people. He probably uh, never, uh, well, for sure never had an Instagram or, or Twitter following that had thousands of people because that wasn't around when he was around. Um, but he faithfully and quietly served people up in BC for decades. And he not only pastored all kinds of different churches, he also built all kinds of church buildings over the years. And if you were to go up to BC, especially along the coast, um, and go into some little villages and see a church building, there's a good chance that this guy was involved somehow in, in building that, that church building. Well, there, there's a story about how one time he was, he was building this, this small church and nobody was helping him, but he just continued on and, and he was up on this homemade scaffold that he, that he had, had made, attempting to nail up this, this sheet of plywood to the ceiling when he slipped and he fell off, fell on the floor, well, when he got his wind back, he started feeling sorry for himself. He got up, he just chucked his hammer, and just went storming off, walking down the road. And he said to God, if I have to do this work all by myself, I quit! Exclamation point. Well, this guy, um, he passed away, several, probably, well, actually, 
probably 20, 25 years ago. But if you knew this guy, you just know that this guy, if you're around him, to be around this man was to be around the presence of Jesus. He just oozed love and passion and just the heart of a servant when it came to Jesus. And so as he's walking away, he, he says, I quit. And in that moment, he tells a story about how Jesus just spoke to him and said, you are not by yourself. I am with you. You're not doing this work for the people. You are doing it for me. So he went back, grabbed his hammer, started hammering away, finished that church facility, and built many, many others. A humble, fierce resolve, the resolve of a servant, it grows when you remember not only why you're doing what you do, it grows when you, when you remember who you're doing it for. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this fierce resolve that Jesus had and what drove it. I love how the Message Bible puts it. It says this, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because, he, he, catch this, he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. He could put up with anything because he had this fierce resolve. He knew why he was doing it. He knew he, he had this joy that was set before him. The attitude of a Christ-like servant is to submit to one another out of love, is to willingly put self aside for the sake of another, and it's this fierce resolve to keep on serving no matter what the cost is. And where does that lead? Where does that lead? You know, I think in, in our, just in our humanity and in, in our own human nature, we, we hear all that, and we hear put self aside, and we hear, we hear submit to another out of love, and we, you know, we hear about fierce resolve no matter what the cost. In, in our human nature, where do we go to when we think of where that leads? We, we think, oh, that just sounds like a life of misery, and that just sounds like a life of drudgery, and that just sounds like hard work, and I'm going to be depressed and sad and all that kind of stuff. But you got to understand something. That's actually the lie of the enemy. Because where does it lead? It actually leads to joy, and it actually leads to worship. This last week, I had a chance to— uh, some of you may have noticed this over the last several months, but in the corner building down here is the Miracle Food Network. And uh, um, I got to have a little bit of a—this last week, uh, met with the, the, the guy who's the, the director of it and some of the staff, and just got to hear a little bit about what they're doing. And it's, it's awesome what's going on down there. But as I was sitting around this table um, with these, these people who are making this all happen— and different people are coming in and going, and, and, and they're all volunteering. Nobody's getting paid to do this. And it was just amazing to see the joy on their faces. Like, you could tell they were genuinely excited and happy to be doing what they were doing. And when you have that heart to serve others, and, and you do it with the right motives— I mean, motives are so key. When you do it with the right motives, there is a joy that comes with that. And not only a joy, there's, there's also uh, just a, a heart of worship that flows out of that. J.I. Packer, one of the most renowned theologians of the last probably 50 years, he said this. He said, the seeds of happiness grow most strongly in the soil of service. So true. You and me, we are called to serve. We're called to serve. We're called to be like Jesus. 
I love what, what Dave Browning, he's this guy who, who has passed away, but he was just a key leader in the CTK movement. And he used to say over the years, um, he would say, it's time to redefine success. It's not found in your appearance. It's not found in your achievement, your ability, your accumulation. Success is not found in discipling yourself, informing yourself, enjoying yourself, expanding yourself, asserting yourself, promoting or believing in yourself. Jesus showed us that success is found when you give yourself. Then he would say, if you're in the business of you, you are, you are in a very small business. When you take who you are, though, and you take what, what God has given you, and you, you take what God has not just given you in the way of, uh, of time, talent, and treasure, but you take the, the, the calling that God has put on your life as a son or daughter of him, and you go, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm not going to just use it for me, but I'm going to take this, and I'm going to give it away. There is a joy that comes when you do that. What could it look like? Ask yourself this question. What could it look like if you began to make serving your highest calling in life? What would that change? If you would begin to decrease, Jesus and others would begin to increase. What would it look like for you to, to do that in your schools? You in the room that are students. What would it look like if you walk into school after spring break? Don't do it tomorrow because nobody will be there. But if you walked into your school after spring break and you just walked in going, okay, I'm a servant. I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm not just here to learn, but I'm here to serve others. How would that change your experience throughout the day, throughout the week, if you just, you, you, you just went, okay, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm called to be like him. Jesus, help me to serve others today. How would that change throughout the day? The, just the way you, you go through your classrooms and the way you interact with people. You in the room that are parents, how would that change the way you parent your kids if you just looked at it and went, okay, I am called to serve. I'm called to serve my kids. What about you that, that have jobs and maybe you think the point of your job is just so that you can make a paycheck? It's not. It's so that you can be Jesus in your workplace. What would happen if you just began to have the attitude of a servant in your workplace and just showed up your next day to work and just went, okay, I am here to serve. I am here to put myself aside for the sake of others. I'm here to just lay myself down. How would that change the way you go throughout your day in your workplace? You that are married. And a lot of times in our marriages, what do we have the, the, uh, the perspective of? We, we have the perspective that that person, they're there to give me stuff. They're there to make me feel better. They're there to help me in my calling, in my purpose. And what would happen if you flipped that around and you just had the attitude of Jesus and you went, okay, I am here to serve my spouse. How can I serve my spouse today? How can I serve my spouse tomorrow? How would that change the way you live? Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he calls us to do the exact same, to live the exact same way. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you have given us such an incredible example to follow of, of not only what it looks like to 
to do what a servant does, but God, you've given us this incredible example of what it looks like to be a servant. God, we, we just almost came and wrap our minds around that. That God Almighty, the most important person in the universe, whoever was or will be, is a servant. Is a servant. God, so often we, we live our lives, God, as if we are the people in our sphere, God, whether that's our friends or family or employee, what, employers, whatever it might be, as if they're there to serve us. But God, you are asking us and calling us today, God, to have a different attitude, a different posture. God, you're calling us to have the posture of a servant. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that, Jesus, you would help us to serve like you do. God, help us to be people that, that don't just serve because it, it seems like it's what Christians should do. God, may we not just serve because it just seems like um, that's, that's maybe, God, the, the way that we earn your favor. God, I pray that, that you would just correct our motives and that, God, our, our, our service, our, our lives of service, God, would, would really flow out of, first of all, a love for you and then, God, a love for people. God, help us to serve from that posture. And then, God, I just want to pray, Jesus, that, that you would change us and transform us. And God, even this morning, God, I have faith to believe that, God, as your word has been preached, that, God, you are working in the hearts of men, women, students, boys and girls here, God, changing us. God, I pray that, Lord, when we walk out of this building, God, when those online who are watching, God, when they, when they click that screen off today, Lord, I pray that, God, we would have a fresh set of eyes. That, God, we would, we would find a new attitude within us. That, God, even, even today, Jesus, in the next hour, two hours, that, God, we would just see ways that we can serve others. Ways that we've never even thought of before. Because we've, we've been changed and we've been transformed by you. God, help us, I pray. And God, I also this morning want to lift up and just acknowledge that, God, there, there, there may be some who are listening today, God, who are just, God, they're burnt out. They've been giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And God, for whatever reason, they are, God, just at the end of their rope and burnt out. And Jesus, I pray today that, that Lord, you would lead them. God, like you, you promised you're going to do, that you would lead them, God, beside those quiet waters, beside those green meadows. God, would you refresh their soul? God, would you guide them, God, in the right path, God, for your, your name's sake? God, would you come along and just breathe? God, even right now in this moment, breathe into that heart and soul that's just tired. And then, God, I pray that you would help that person, God, to be able to just fix their eyes on you. And God, grab that fierce resolve that you have. Help us, I pray. God, help us, Jesus, to be like you. Help us to be like you. I pray in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.